This is the MagicWordPodcast.com. Hello, this is Scott Wells for the MagicWordPodcast.com. This year, 2024, is just getting more exciting as the weeks go on. This is really going to be a wonderful year, and I want to share something with you that uh, has just been made public. I was unable really to share this with the listeners uh, until now that it has been released, and I just got this email from Chuck Martinez, who's the executive director of the Academy of Magical Arts at the Magic Castle. He says, hi, Scott. Chuck Martinez here. We're very excited that the AMA Board of Trustees has chosen to recognize your exceptional contributions to the world of magic by awarding you a special fellowship, which will be presented to you on Friday evening, May 17, 2024, at our AMA Awards show in Los Angeles. So, wow, wow. I, uh, I, I am overwhelmed I, with excitement and emotion, and it just gives me goosebumps. That is so wonderful, and I thank all of you guys and gals for listening to this podcast uh, week after week over the last dozen years that I've been presenting it with 800-plus podcast episodes out there and going and growing. And it's, again, because of you listening that uh, has made this uh, important enough to be recognized by the Academy of Magical Arts. This is pretty darn amazing. I, <laughs> boy, what can I say? Uh, just a couple of things about that for those who might be interested, by the way. Uh, as I understand it so far, they have not yet voted on who are going to be the Magician of the Year, Lecturer of the Year, and that kind of a thing for the banquet. But they have uh, decided on the following, and that is Creative Fellowship. That was Jorge Blas for Stage Magic and Mario the Maker. Uh, For Literary and Media Fellowship, one is going to Teller and another one to Paul Romani. For Special Fellowship, (laughs) me, Scott Wells, you're truly. Special Fellowship also to Mike Miller. And another special fellowship going to Willie Kennedy. An outstanding junior achievement is to Day Morey. And uh, again, that's going to be on the 17th of May in the Theater at Ace Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. If you can't make it or you want to put a display ad in their program, you can do that. They said, feel free to reach out to Meredith Snyder. That is uh, M-R-M as in Meredith. R-D-T-H-S-N-D-R at gmail.com. And she's going to be coordinating the award show program display ads. So if you want to uh, purchase a display ad and uh, congratulating the award winners, then you can contact uh, Meredith again, M-R-D-T-H-S-N-D-R at gmail.com. Anyhow, Enough of that for a while. I mean, <laughs> that's going to last me a lifetime. And, uh, I, man, that's so exciting and so much uh, fun. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So uh, I'm going to be out there for the uh, Collector's Expo, uh, Magic Collector's Expo, which is going to be on the Queen Mary, and then I'm going to hang around for another week and then have an opportunity, to, I'm sure, while I'm there to chat with and do some podcast episodes with a lot of people out in the L.A. area. And then, of course, uh, at the going staying for the banquet, then on that Friday the 17th. Well, this week I have a special guest is someone who also is exciting. And he is a motivational speaker. I hate to use that word because nowadays using the word motivation or motivational is not really the uh, correct term, I guess, uh, according to the National Speakers uh, Association. But uh, I I don't know what what you call them, but basically they do motivate. We've had a few people who have spoken here in the past about helping to make your magic more motivational and how to get the audience to sit up and pay attention and to listen and watch to what you're saying and doing on stage or in your close-up. In other words, how can you make your magic matter? Well, this week we have a guest who is Rolando Santos, who is a retired CEO of CNN Chile, and he has been an on-air journalist for a long number of years with CNN in Atlanta and then moved to uh, to Chile to head up uh, that group. And then he is also a past international president of the International Brotherhood of Magicians. He has spoken to many corporate groups as well as to aspiring journalists in schools and everything and telling them how to make their 
their stories more interesting and how to evoke emotion. And so that's what he's going to talk about here this week because it can directly apply to what we do as magicians to evoke the right emotion to get people to make our magic memorable. And isn't that what this is all about? So I know you're going to be really enjoying this episode we've got here this week. It is fantastic. So please welcome my guest this week, Mr. Rolando Santos, here on The Magic Word. Today I'm with a, a, another friend that we uh, talk frequently. He is a gentleman who uh, attends a lot of the conventions just as I do. I see him all over the place, and we're going to get into a lot of that as we get into this then as well. And he is also a past international president of the International Brotherhood of Magicians. And uh, as far as the rest of the world knows, what is important is that he is a former CEO of CNN Chile. And please welcome Rolando Santos. Hey, Rolando. Hey, Scott. How are you doing? <laughs> Fantastic. I'm going to call you Roby because I know yeah, we, no, we, we've I know. had a long history together. <laughs> That's yeah, right. totally. So for people who are listening, uh, pardon me, it's just easier to say, hey, Ro, or whatever, rather than Rolando's. But, uh, and you call me Scott, which for short, for Scott. Uh, so <laughs> anyhow, when you were uh, working in Chile before that, I know you went to Texas A&M and you moved back to Texas and you're in San Antonio area now. Yeah. I need to come over and take a visit sometime. Yeah, yeah, of course. And, and, and to say hi, since now I'm kind of up in that same neck of the woods, I'm not too far away from you uh, than right now. Are you still traveling a lot? Uh, doing anything at all with CNN? Or I, I know you were. T- no, not with CNN so much. I really have uh, moved into um, executive coaching for presidents and CEOs. I give uh, lectures on how to write and connect with audiences. Because uh, basically, that's what I did for 48 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a journalist. I started off in radio when I was 16 on the Texas Mexico border, transitioned into television. And I've worked at the local level. Actually, there's not a job in a newsroom that I haven't done, except maybe uh, graphic art and... You've done um, traffic to front office uh, and everything. (laughs) In some form or fashion. Yeah. Um, And then I ended up as a CEO. I ran four CNN networks and ended up as the CEO of CNN Chile Report. Because you were in Atlanta. I was in Atlanta for Mm -hmm. 25 years, actually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I ran Headline News. I worked for CNN International. Um, I launched CNN Spanish. I launched a network in Turkey, I launched another network in Spain, and the last network I launched was in Chile, which was a 10-year run simply because I love the country. How many languages do you speak? Uh, I speak two languages fluently, and I can handle myself a little bit in Brazilian, and I can... um, In In Turkish? uh, You know what? Enough to be able to... Give instructions. Yeah, right. I order Order, coffee. Order coffee and (laughs) and where's the restroom? Yeah. 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 (laughs) I could say donde es la baño. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, So you really love Chile. Yeah. um, You know, going back to your question about the language, it's interesting because what we're going to talk about today at some point is... There's a, a universal set of emotions, okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It doesn't matter the language. The reason I had success, even in countries where I don't speak the language, is yeah. because we created and used uh, a form of journalism that allowed us to connect with an audience. The words and the language were secondary to these key emotions. So I know we're going to come back to that, but yeah. I think that's important to note because really, even though I didn't speak the language, I had a lot of success because I understood what I've come to call evocative connections or evocative communication, and mm-hmm. we'll get to it in whenever you want. Yeah, well, it, it, yeah. yeah, that's just a little tip on what we're going to be yeah, talking about a little right. bit later, because I really do want to do a deep dive into that, because I think it's very fascinating in the lecture that I've heard you talk about then before. But uh, I, I think it's also interesting to note that we had met, although through magic, and then we really started seeing each other at other conventions. I didn't know you were a bizarrist and storyteller kind of a thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. A person. Well, it, it, it fell into, it was kind of natural for me. I mean, um, because I've been telling stories for my entire life since I mm-hmm. was a teenager in, in journalism, um, I didn't get into magic until I was way in my 30s, right? Mm-hmm. And so for me, it, I don't know how to do a magic trick without tying it to something. Um, well, that and goes back I, to that got, passion we were talking about, the love and connection. That's exactly right? right. And then I got lucky because uh, I met Eugene Berger and, and Max Maven, That's right. Ed Solomon, who we both yep. know from Texas. Yep. Um, Larry White, Phil Wilmarth, and a, and a series of people who were into bizarre, what is now mystery entertainment or storytelling magic. Mm-hmm. Bizarre would have been 
the early 70s where it was kind of dark and had satanic and occult overtones and then now that has transitioned into what we now call mystery entertainment mm-hmm. or storytelling magic. Mm-hmm. And so it's a natural for me. I, it, I, again, I, I don't know how to do a magic trick without tying it <laughs> to some kind of a story. Well, I've heard it often said that when you are telling a story, usually in the context of a, of a full act, let's say, you know, a 45-minute to 90-minute act, whatever it is, you shouldn't have more than, let's say, one rhyming story and then also others that kind of tell a story. I, I tend to disagree a little bit with that because I think uh, audiences will be able to react and relate to stories that are told. Uh, and, and, and again, I know we're going to get more into that with, with this a little bit later, but, but I think that's, that's, that's perfect for it sounds like what your life has been of trying to, because that's what the news is, is telling uh, the news through stories because people are interested in stories, not so much the news. Right. That's so, correct. And That's correct. when you said that you also are doing things for uh, coaching for CEOs and everything, when when you do that, have you uh, do you have an agent or somebody or no, how? Do they... No, I just do it. I mean, my reputation. Right. You know, kind of leads you reach to out? word of mouth. Okay. It's mostly word of mouth. Somebody will say, "Hey, I'm trying to do this," or "I've got an executive that I would like to bring up, but I don't either have the time myself, or I don't have anyone in my organization." So it's a one-on-one thing. It's not like where you're going into a classroom necessarily. Um, I can do that if it's a group of executives that they want to bring up and give basic uh, co- coaching to, or I can do one-on-ones, as the case may be. Usually, it's a one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And how far and wide do you travel with that? Wherever I need to go. Wherever you need. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, do you find you're doing more of that than you are of uh, magic and storytelling? No. By choice, I'm doing the other. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Those are the, the executive coaching happens uh, rarely now, quite frankly, especially after COVID and things like that. I think most of the companies are, are trying to find themselves right now, whereas before we had very structured people who were coming up the ranks and they came up the ranks a certain way. And now more to the, um, the CEO of today is busy trying to get and decide how they're going to move their business forward, which I could certainly help with. Mm-hmm. But there's less coaching involved now um, because they don't have to deal with people like they used to. Hmm. Uh, most people are not in the office anymore. Yeah, there's more the kind remote. of coaching that I talked about wasn't how to do the business. My kind of coaching was how do you lead a team? How do you assemble a That's team? That's really important. How do you work so that everyone has the same message? Because right? these guys already have the sk- gals have the skills as far as engineering, architecture, whatever that happens to be. Right. You're looking at it from a personal standpoint. Yeah. What are your What are your communication skills? Communication. I'll, I'll give you a real real basic example. I, as a CEO, almost always knew where I was going to take the business. Mm-hmm. Didn't always know the how, and that's what you have a team for, because a good CEO doesn't have all the answers. He builds teams that create the answers. Correct. That's the first You surround thing. yourself with them. And so what I found was if, if you had an issue and you wanted to go in a direction, I could just order it. But mm-hmm. that's counterproductive. That's the boss telling me what to do. Good point. But if you sit in a conference room and you have maybe six to seven people around you, mm-hmm. okay, and you say, you know what, this is what we're trying to do. Do we have any suggestions? One of those six or seven people will come pretty close to where you want to go. Hmm. And then it's a matter of just saying, wow, that's a pretty good idea, Scott. You know what, why don't you, um, why don't you take charge of that? Here are your parameters, pick a team, and then Run well, let's talk back in about two weeks. Okay, and so now it's no longer the boss telling me, it's that person. Okay, oh, I and see. it's one Making of it feel them, like it's their idea. And it's their idea. Yeah. And now here's the important part I am giving them parameters, right? And I'm helping them along. That person, if they're successful with the idea, gets full credit for the idea and usually some kind of recognition sure. financially or otherwise. Right. If it doesn't work, it's mine. Mm-hmm. I come back and I say, you know what? It was my bad for not giving you the right instructions. Mm-hmm. So therefore, it's never, they're never in a position to fail, even if, they don't, even if their idea doesn't work. Because the idea may work. It just may not be something that we can implement, but the core idea needs to be explored. And so it's always a matter of I take the responsibility if it's negative 
and I give full credit to the person or team mm -hmm. that was able to come up with the implementation. And because it's not me, then it's not an order. And I'll give you an example of that. When we first launched CNN um, Spanish at CNN, we had these. We were the first uh, digital 24-hour news network in the world. This is okay? before this Telemundo was, also. way back. Way back. Oh, we're talking about news no, channel. After, oh, news channel. Yeah, yeah. This CNN was the for, yeah, news okay, and 24 that was it. 7. It was my network for, yeah. as the first digital one. And so we had these huge servers, right? Right. And we couldn't go in and out of live television without all kinds of gyrations. Mm -hmm. And everyone was getting frustrated because if you were a traditional network, you could go live faster than we could at CNN Spanish. And my, my competitive executive producers, the way they should be, got really upset. And so one day they came into my office. This was about three weeks after we launched and they were complaining about it. And I said, well, then find me a solution. Mm -hmm. And they did. They mm. came back in less than 72 hours with really? the solution. And so it wound up being a box about the size of a cigarette box mm -hmm. that needed to be created to allow the two kinds of digital boxes that we use to interact or stop interacting without losing anything. Mm -hmm. And I could have ordered them, you've got to come up with a solution. No, they, they on their own went back, examined the situation, and quite frankly worked almost 72 straight hours because wow. they were so adamant about getting this done themselves. I could never have ordered it makes that. Makes me wonder perhaps if they kind of came to you with this already in the back of their mind and partway developed and no, you think no, it was, I think they what started ha scratch. What happened is everyone was really upset about the fact that we got beat on a story because we couldn't go live fast enough. Oh, oh, oh I see what you're saying, yeah. sure. Mm -hmm. And their own pride. And so they got the four sure. executive producers got together <laughs> and then they went down and talked to the engineers right. and the engineers got all excited about it. Right. And the writers got excited about it. And literally within three days or so, we had the, the solution on paper. It took us another couple of days to figure out the mechanics of it. And within a week of them coming to me with the problem, we actually had the problem solved. It could never have happened had I pitched a fit and said, right. you know, why aren't we live? It's up to you to find the solution. Meanwhile, of course, I was working with CNN engineers at another level trying to fix it as a backstop. Sure. But it turned out that my team, because they knew the systems and because they were really vested in the fact that sure. they didn't like to get beat, right. created the answer. And by the way, they got credit for it. Um, um, several of them got promotions and all of them got a bonus. Mm -hmm. Well, it's one of those things I, th I see in which that... It, it, everyone has not only to buy into it, but be feeling as if they're part of the team in creating the solution. In other words, that we're not just trying to satisfy the boss. This is a personal thing for me. You know, I, I feel bad that somebody beat me. They're not. That's not going to happen again. So it's kind of like the Texans just uh, Rangers had just won. You know, the uh, for the first time the World Series mm -hmm. in their franchise, and so uh, they're excited. But they had a goal as a team to reach that. You know, and it's like, okay, we got beat last night, but we're not going to lose tonight, whatever. So it's a similar kind of a thing if you have the team who is buying into uh, the uh, uh, whatever it is. You know, whether if they've, if they've lost or they want to win again, or it's like, let's improve this so we, you know, continue to cut the competitors out. So, um, yeah. You having a team doesn't just happen by accident. Okay. You have to build a team. Okay. And, and the way How you do that? do that, well, you create... Three things. First of all, you create an identity. Mm -hmm. You're no longer, I'll give you an example. The fight in Texas Aggie Band was, when I was there, about 325 strong on the field, right? Yep. Up until the moment that we took halftime, it was Scott and Rolando and Bill and uh, Chuck and whoever, right? Yeah, right. But at the moment that we stepped onto Kyle Field, we were the fight in Texas Aggie Band. I see. And for that 10 minutes, we were one entity. And we took charge of the field. Yeah. Same thing happens in any job. You take all these individual personalities and you say to them, this is our identity. I don't want you to lose yours, but you have to create and be part of this team identity. So that's the first thing. Mm -hmm. So now we're no longer a bunch of individuals. We are a group. And now we're pulling in this direction. So you outline the vision, right? And then you make sure, and this is really important to me, and, and quite frankly, the success that I've had was because I always said to the team, we'll come up with a solution together. 
Mm-hmm. Do you have the answer? No, no, I don't. They're asking me, right? No. Right. But we will come up with it. And they knew that if they came up with it, they would be recognized in some form or fashion. It's not always monetary. It's not always a promotion. But they knew that I wasn't going to take their idea and use it for my advancement. And I knew that if they were successful, I would just be naturally promoted because right. that, my network was being successful. Right. I didn't have to take the credit. It just would happen. And everybody would be riding on your coattails and they would also... And vice versa. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's how you create a team that works. It doesn't just come together. You have to nurture it. Was that a rising, rising uh, tide floats all ships or all boats or something yeah, like that? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. On completely different matter, but kind of related, uh, as far as talking about uh, magic and getting into that, I want you to relate that story again, which I just absolutely love about how that you got started and you had uh, entertained some... Uh, uh, in the Spanish story. In Spanish, yeah. So I was on the air. I was on air for the first 16 years of my career. I was mm-hmm. an anchor and a reporter. Okay? okay. Then I went into management. And in going into management, one of the things that I missed the most was being on air. Mm-hmm. Right, I had been on there since I was 16, and I was in my late 20s when I made the transition. And I was in working for Fox in Los Angeles. I was the assistant news director. And one of the, the people there, I was telling them about this, and, and she said, you know, why don't we go down to the Magic Castle? She had a friend named Ed, Ed Thomas who, who, who was a member. So we went there, and I met Johnny Thompson and Pam Thompson, and, and, and I saw the, you know, the... Uh, his act, and I saw Mark Wilson and Nani. And a few weeks later, I got this, uh, the Mark, uh, Mark Wilson Course, course in Magic. magic yeah. mm-hmm. And so when I first started getting into magic, I didn't perform. I was just fascinated by the history of it. Mm-hmm. Read Being a, lot a journalist, of it. I kind of like the scholarship part of it. I see. So I was launching a network in Spain, and I was at a place called La Cava, and, which was a great steakhouse. It was in a cave, which is what La Cava means. Mm. Uh, and or I was Spain, reading Madrid, uh, in Madrid specifically, yeah. and I was reading a Roberto Giobi book that hadn't been printed in the United States. It was written in Spanish. Hmm. Um, it later became the Giobi books that you all are familiar with, but at the time it wasn't mm-hmm. there, and I had a deck of cards. So behind me was uh, an elderly woman and her three adult daughters. Well, her cane, she dropped her cane, and you know, being a good Aggie and, and Texan, I got up and picked up her cane and gave it to her, and she said, do you do, you do magic? And I said, no, I don't. She goes, well, you have a deck of cards. Uh, mm-hmm. And she was rather insistent. Now, you have to understand two things. I'm translating from English into Spanish. In your brain. In, in, in the effects and everything else. Yeah. And I've never really performed. Yeah. But she was really insistent, and quite frankly, she reminded me of my grandmother. Mm, how nice. So, um, so I did three tricks, and they all worked. <laughs> and I was really happy, and she was happy, and yeah. so I went back and sat down and finished my steak, and da-da-da-da-da. So I walked out. As I was walking out, one of the daughters came to me and said, thank you very much for doing this. And I said, no, no, thank you. You don't understand. I've never performed. And she said, no, you don't understand. My mother is dying. This is her favorite restaurant. And now I can remember laughing and having a good time. And at that moment, I went from I'm just going to read about magic to I'm going to be a magician. Because you can change lives. Uh, because I can make a difference in people's make a difference. lives. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And which is, that's why I got into journalism to begin with so many years ago. It's about making a difference in people's lives. My, my whole outlook on life is that. How have you melded the two careers? Um, because of my ability to be in front of a camera and to ad-lib and also my ability to create stories because I can just see things, that becomes magic because I allow the magic trick to reinforce the connection with the person. That's mm-hmm. the first thing. And secondly, magic does change lives. It's more than entertainment. I evoke emotions with my journalism and with my magic as opposed to provoking an emotion. When you provoke an emotion, it's fleeting. It's a momentary response. Maybe it's someone laughing or someone reacting. But when you evoke an emotion, it generally creates a lasting memory. And that's when you start making a difference. If you happen to brush up against someone and they see that as a hostile 
movement, uh, you provoke someone into their reaction of being angry with you. That'd be a provocation. But an evocation or to evoke something would be something completely different. You're saying. Well, you would reach out, extend your hand in friendship, and that evokes yeah. a reaction as opposed to grabbing someone. And if, that and provokes. To evoke something also lasts longer than That's a, exactly right. That's, a whole, that's the whole premise. Mm -hmm. And so I've used magic both as an entertainment um, tool, but also from time to time I, uh, to protect the identity of the person we're talking about. I, in one of my many jobs, um, I came in in the middle of the night um, as I'm wont to do because I like people to see the boss in at all hours and have access mm -hmm. to me. And there was a person who was in a room crying okay, um, in, a, in the break room, right? Okay. So I walked up to the person, asked her what was going on. She was upset about a lot of things, didn't feel that she could do anything right, that she, her whole life was a mess, that she had no, no ability to make right decisions. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're... Now, this person happened to be one of my best producers. So I knew she could do live. I knew she made great decisions. Yeah. I knew she could lead. I mean, and she it was just coming there apart. There was a lot a going sudden. on yeah. in her personal life gotcha. that had crept into her professional right. life. And so I did three tricks. I did a a, a coin trick um, where she, out of five coins, selected not only the right coin but whether it was heads or tails. And then I did um, a thing called split coincidence, where you take uh, six cards, you tear them in two, which gives you 12, right? Mm -hmm. And you um, mix the cards. She looks at one card, I look at another, and when it's all said and done, we have the same, same card match. at the end. Mm -hmm. And so the important thing was when she took the coins in her hand and shook them, mm -hmm. she was on this hamster wheel of negativity, right? Well, the sound of the coins in her hand before she threw them on the table and then throwing them on the table created sound. It broke this cycle that she was in. Then, when And it was she, a physical reaction, something it, she's doing rather than just wiping her tears. Yeah, well, more than yeah. that, this, there's something about, the sound always works, right? But in the act of this and mm -hmm. throwing them on the table, I got her out of this. I couldn't have said to her, snap out of it. I yeah, couldn't have, right. I, you're really good. Right, right. Because in her mind, she's still thinking this. Of course. Well, now she's thinking about something completely different. She's physically having to do something. Mm -hmm. So she can't, you can't think of two things at one time. You know that. That's what right. misdirection is, right? That's right. And so she's throwing them. And then when she got it right, and then she got it right a second time, and I said, and I'll prove it to you even a third time. Mm -hmm. And I had her tear the cards in half. That's a physical action okay. to give her a chance to express her anger. Right, right. Love that. Right? Were you consciously thinking yes. of these tricks? Yeah, I to... was going. Wow. I knew exactly where I was wow. going. I knew exactly what I was trying to do. I was trying to get her out of it. That's brilliant. And I knew that physical actions would help. She can't think of two things at once. Sure, sure. So the coins were easy because I had coins in my pocket. And of course, when, when are we, we cards, had a deck yeah. in our pockets right? Right. or somewhere nearby. Right. And so this action... And it just, it just, and then I gave her one coin as a souvenir um, and as a reminder. I said, when you think of it, when you get into this situation, here, think of this. Mm -hmm. um, and interestingly, when I left that particular assignment, she, the on the night of my going away party, she came back and she gave me the coin and I still have it. She drew a, a heart on the back of it and, oh, nice. and uh, with a marking, with a sharpie, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and I still have it. Yeah. And, and she went on. Honestly, she went on to have an amazing career, mm -hmm. an amazing career. I'm, I'm being vague on purpose because it's not that, fair yeah, yeah. To, to talk about who the person is or anything like that. But I'm telling you, that's an example. Now, earthquakes in Chile, right? We had several. In fact, I survived yes. two of the biggest earthquakes in modern history. Um, and again, you go out on the street and people need a distraction. Something as simple as um, a copper silver coin and a spellbound move. Mm-hmm catches their attention. And what are you doing? You're breaking that hamster wheel that they're on. And for just a few seconds, they can forget about whatever the situation is. Because they can't is. think about the two things. They can't think about the two yeah. things or they're mesmerized by the coin or whatever it's going to be. And so you, magic, we tend, the majority of us tend to think of it as entertainment because we enjoy doing it. And I don't, it's not a we for me. It's, it's the audience. It's always about the audience. And when you Take magic that way, 
it becomes truly magical. It's sure. no longer just a bunch of tricks. It makes a, peop a difference in people's life, like I did for that family in Spain. For those, whatever, 5 or 10 or 15 minutes that I was in Spain, mm -hmm. they weren't worried about her dying. She wasn't worried about her dying. Mm -hmm. The daughters were only worried about having a great time with her mom. That was the experience. Not that they'd gone there because it may be one of their final meals there, which is why they'd gone. Right. Sure. They walked out of there with a wonderful memory about their mom. And her mom, and the mom um, had, a you know, for at least a few moments, she wasn't thinking about what was happening. Many of the people who are listening to this uh, who are employed in another job, not magic full time, have bosses that they are reporting to. How... And, and some people may be a little bit reluctant to do magic in the office or at certain times. How did you, or what kind of reaction did you get from your superiors, your supervisors? I mean, were they bought into that or they just thought I was doing magic? Or did they know that you were making differences in people's lives? Or did they just think, oh, we got, yeah, we got a trickster in our group or whatever? Um, that's, there's two different levels to that question. In my particular case, I was using magic to help my staff and help morale and that's what my bosses saw okay and at that at the level that i was i'd proven my it's my fifth network at that point yeah they didn't they weren't gonna get rid of you <laughs> well no it's not that they wouldn't get rid of me it's like i had had a lot of success in a lot of a lot of places even though it wasn't my first language etc mm -hmm. etc or people, places, that's why they sent me. They sent me there specifically because I knew how to connect with people. Mm -hmm. And magic was one of the ways that I connected with people. Great. Interesting. At the lower levels and whether you're doing it in the company office, or that kind of, you got to play that one by ear, do one or two things. As long as it doesn't interfere with the office or create, I mean, there are parts of the United States um, that would be, I guess, known as the Bible Belt, for example, mm -hmm. where magic is considered... Uh, a negative, and negative, and not just a negative, um, goes against some people's religion. So you're kind of balancing yeah, that out. If it becomes a distraction in the newsroom or in right. your in your office environment, then obviously you shouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. um, and there's no right or wrong answer for it. I I believe that I am trying to make a difference in people's lives. That's why I got into journalism. To the, I mean, even now, mm -hmm. when I help other magicians, nine times out of 10, unless it's a long-term project, I'm not charging them for that. If mm -hmm. someone will call up and say, hey, I'm having trouble with the script, I'll help them with the script. If they're putting together a script for a show, then yeah, right. you know what, let's, get a let's work fee. out a consultancy fee or some kind of a fee because I'm gonna be sure. dedicating hours and hours and hours to you mm -hmm. as opposed to, but in general, if if, X called me up and said, hey, I'm working on this trick. The script just isn't working for me. We'll sit down and talk to him. That's yeah. what it's all about. I, I want to get in now into the, what we were originally going to be talking about then too, as far as the, your uh, your lecture that you have given. You've given us uh, a lecture at the Magic Castle and I uh, got one coming up at the Magic Circle. As we speak now, by the time of this release, you will have come and gone from there. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, this uh, is something that you had presented a few times. I've heard you uh, at the TAOM and elsewhere where you have presented that. And it, uh, it just um, is it was life changing, and everybody has uh, has loved it. I'm sure that you've gotten that. lots of great feedback. I have. I, have. Um, I there are two things that I think are missing in magic, and that is, no one ever tells you how to connect. They tell you you have to connect with an audience, yeah, but they never tell you how. Right. And I've been doing that for thirty, forty plus years, right? And then the second piece of it is. And it's the part that we're going to talk about specifically has never been talked about in any magic book anywhere. I know it hasn't. And that no, is, it hasn't. I teach people how to do a live shot like journalists all over the world do. Mm -hmm. And because you can do that, it enhances your magic for the reasons that we're going to get into. So let's back up to the first yeah. part, okay? Right. So the part that catches everyone's attention and certainly caught your attention is when I'm introduced, um, they'll say, now, you know, Rolando Santos, and I'll say, you know, over the last 48 years, I've traveled the world as a journalist. During that time, I've been shot at, actually shot at several times. I've been stalked by a satanic cult, followed by communist spies. Uh, I've gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with gangbangers. And I've had serial killers and murderers say, you know what? If I get out of prison, you're at the top of my kill list. 
Wow. I've interviewed presidents and kings and queens, uh, sports stars, movie stars, everyone from Mother Teresa to the head of the Church of Satan. I've seen things that have fascinated me, terrified me, mystified me. And that's what I want to talk with you about tonight. A little history, a little mystery, and a little magic. Man, what a great way to grab the audience. <laughs> now, now, let's look at it. Let's dissect that, okay? Yeah, yeah. In 45 seconds, think about that. 45 seconds, you know who I am. You know what we're going to be talking about. Mm -hmm. You know the name of my company, History, Mystery, and Magic. Mm -hmm. And I know, without a doubt, one of the things that I've said has got your attention. Yeah. And yeah. that is how you write a script. That is what is called evocative communications. I've won Emmys doing this. Mm -hmm. right? it, it, it does evoke an, uh, an emotion as opposed to provoking. Absolutely. Yeah, like you were saying earlier. Right. So how do you do this? Well, actually, it's really easy. And it's the same thing that marketers do, magicians have doing for centuries, uh, television script writers. It uses emotions to connect because that's our universal connection, right? Mm -hmm. So there are seven, there are a lot of emotions, but the seven that most connections are made of are anger, fear, happiness, sadness, awe, hope, and curiosity. I'm going to repeat them, okay? Okay. Anger, fear, happiness and sadness, awe, curiosity, and hope. Okay. If you touch on one or more of these, you're going to connect with me. And so my word wow. choices, okay. my word choices, the examples that I try to use when I'm talking to you, use those emotions. You want to ask a question or I'm going to go into no, the next keep, Yeah, piece? No, no, okay. no. So, Spellbound here. Here's an example. <laughs> if I were to tell you that there was a fire in downtown San Antonio, an apartment complex, and two people are dead and 200 are homeless, that may catch your attention. But if I were to say five-year-old Scott and his teddy bear don't have a place to stay tonight, their apartment complex burned down, two people died and 200 are homeless, which are you going to remember? Sure. Scott and his teddy bear. All right. So now we're going to take it one step further. And this is a thing that Eugene Berger and I came to call a shared personal experience. Okay. If I were to tell you flames roared through an apartment complex in San Antonio, two people are dead, 200 are homeless. The flames and the fire were so intense that it melted the chairs in the community room. That's a visual. And it's different for you. You have a different manner, not just you, for every person. Each person. You have a different vision of the flames that are roaring. Yep. And of the, and the furniture melting. You have a different vision of what those melted chairs look like. Okay. Right. Yep. So how does this work? Well, by knowing your audience, you pick the one that works. In television, the first example would be in the morning. And that's because you're getting dressed, you have the TV on in the background, you don't have time to invest in what I'm saying. You just need to know this, right? Okay, sure, sure. So the first bare bones version would be the morning. Mm -hmm. The noon one where you have mostly a female audience, mostly moms, et cetera, et cetera, would be the one where you would talk about the teddy bear. And the one at six o'clock would be the one where you're looking at the flames, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So that's how you would do it in TV. In same magic, story, just same told story. different ways. Exactly. So now when you go to an audience, and a magic audience, what's your audience made of? Who is it looking up? You know, what's the makeup of your, what's the venue? College what's group the or event? adults. Exactly. Or, yeah. And then you're going to choose which is the best way to connect mm. using that. Mm -hmm. So you have one trick, in our, and we're talking about magic now. Okay, right. So how's the best way to tell this trick to the audience that you're going to? Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's that part of it. That's kind of what I remember that David Kay, Silly Billy, has a book out in which he talks about children like that. Depending upon their age groups, he would do this particular trick. Say whether it's a change bag or whatever kind of a thing, he would use this presentation for three-year-olds, this presentation for eight-year-olds, and this for 13-year-olds. Same trick, different presentation because he knows his audience. That's exactly right. Okay. So now let's go back a moment to the um, 
to the person that I help with a coin trick. Mm -hmm. Okay, I use that coin trick all the time. And I talk about the fact that, you know what? Do you think you're intuitive? Mm -hmm. And I just look at the audience. And here's where most magicians fail. They say that and they go right into it with whatever oh, the next line there's is. There's no pause. Not just pause. Hmm. You're looking for someone who nods or you're looking for someone oh. who doesn't. Oh. Because you're going to zero in on that person. You're going to say, you, huh. understand? You, must, you certainly understand what I'm talking about because you're nodding. Can you tell me why you think you're intuitive? Huh. So you or if someone said, is over here, oh, you don't believe in intuition. Right. Why not? And so now what you've done is you've brought the audience in. And here's where the magician uh, has the most trouble. Most magicians feel they have to carry the load during their entire show. And they do because they're not doing this. Hmm. The audience, that the, the best magicians let the audience carry the load of the energy. So by pausing and saying... Do you believe in intuition? And just waiting and yeah. looking, somebody will react. Hmm. And then you zero in on that person in a nice way and say, give me an example of why you think you have intuition. Give me an example of why you don't. And then you go do your trick. Hmm. It's the same trick. Another way of, of, of doing this is, for example... But you the rest say, of the audience is brought in with that one person because you are talking to that person as if they could have talked to me also, you know. And but generally, someone else will be nodding, and then you say, oh, what about you, and what about you? Well, you don't want to go too far. No, I mean, no, you know, no. That, no, no. Now, that, now you begin be, to understand where you go. But if you... My point is, you're, you're using as much of the audience as you need mm -hmm. to build it up. I, I got to tell you, you have this person here, this person here. That's that's only about thirty to forty-five seconds. Yeah, I guess that's true. And that thirty to forty-five seconds is now going to make the their audience is now thinking my own experience with being intuitive or not. And they've already got an answer. By now the way, now you have a yeah. shared personal sure. reality because okay. everyone is looking at it through their prism. Yes. Mm -hmm. Instead of me giving them specific details. From your perspective. They, from my perspective, their mm -hmm. own minds have filled in the bank, and then I go into the effect. And when mm -hmm. they go home, they're going to say, you know what? This guy was like he was talking, he was looking in my head. Isn't that kind of like with the comedians, the really successful ones are saying, uh, boy, you know, doesn't it give you a problem when someone runs through a yellow light or something? It's like everybody can kind of agree. You know, in other words, if we had shared experiences, then they can get on board with you. So I, I think what I'm saying, you're saying, is that's exactly what a lot of professional comedians would use that technique. Uh, not just professional. Anytime, almost anyone, television, radio especially, because mm -hmm. you don't have images, you're, you're using statements or something or other where the audience fills it yeah. in. Yeah. And so for a magician, this makes your life tons easier. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the first thing. I'm sorry. So I stepped on the next thing you were no, going to no. talk about then. And so by doing this... The audience is helping you get through this. Yes. So I'll give you another example. Um, you walk into the room and you're talking about this and the other and you say, you know what? I have to admit something. My name is Rolando Santos and I'm a liar. <laughs> and you just wait. <clears throat> right? mm -hmm. And I'm also a little psychic because I know something about each and every one of you. You're all liars, too. <laughs> Did you know that the average person will tell 1,400 lies during a year? Hmm. The average guy tells a lie six times a day, a woman three times a day. A woman usually to protect someone, a guy tells a lie to make themselves feel better. And oh, by the way, we all start lying at age three. That's why this deck of cards is very important. Because the cards never lie. And then you go into a lie detector test. Interesting. So you're bringing it to them personally. That Absolutely. They can, yeah. If I really Identify. wanted to draw it out and I had the time, and let's say I'm doing walk around rather than a stage sure. show, right? Sure. Or I mean a set show in a parlor. Mm -hmm. If I'm doing walk around, someone will either nod and you go, ah, mm -hmm. what's your favorite fib? Now, I notice the word I went back to fib. 
because I don't want to call the person a liar. Yeah. So what's your favorite fib? Mm-hmm. And now they may or may not tell you, right? right. <laughs> and, and then, but so at that point, I go from liar to fib because I don't want this particular person to say, hey, call me a liar. No, mm-hmm. no, no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we all fib. What's, the, what's your favorite white lie? Mm-hmm. And now that softens it enough to be able to talk to people and go this way. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you've heard me do the story of um, where I say we have universal emotions, right? And we have universal connections. And I'll say something like, don't you just hate it when you have to get up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom and you put your feet on the floor and there's this little breeze and it feels like something's going to grab your ankles from under the bed. <laughs> and if you look, most of the audience will be going like this. They're not. Right? And mm-hmm. I'll say, if you've ever had that experience, raise your hand. And about half of them will raise their hand. And I'll say, I know some of the rest of you are lying. Right? <laughs> I know you are. And you know how I know? 85% of the people in the world have that nightmare. It's a universal nightmare, no matter what your religion is, what your culture is, what part of the country is. In fact, the television series Doctor Who did an entire show based on that one premise. Right. And then I go into a lie detector test. Yeah. So, see, this is evocative connections with your audience rather than just doing a trick. So they can relate to that and they will be invested and remember. Yeah. Now mm-hmm. you've created an emotion. This guy, he talked about this thing that freaked What, what was, um, oh my gosh, Trixie. Trixie, mm-hmm. when I did that example at TAOM, she goes, well... I didn't have it before, but I got it now. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I had this image of the, you know, obviously we're doing a podcast, but the image yeah. was this big, <laughs> ugly red claw grabbing someone's foot from under the bed covers, right? <laughs> and she goes, well, I got it now. It's going to happen yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much, Rolando. <laughs> so those are ways that we can try to get the uh, audience invested in what we have. I, I've often heard Penn & Teller uh, talk about trying to get away from look at the pretty box kind of a thing and to make the audience care about what you do, which is why they burn and restore the American flag or something, you know, that it's something that evokes an emotion. Um, and uh, uh, You other- know what? I would argue that Penn & Teller provoke more than you they think? evoke. Yeah. Okay. They go for shock value. There's no question. I mean, burning a flag is not going to evoke an emotion, it's going to provoke, provoke a reaction. So there's, okay, there's a difference there. right yes. there. I see what you mean. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you can provoke a great, I mean, so there are people who can manipulate cards and you're provoking this amazing reaction and someone will say, hey, this guy did this amazing thing with a card. But that's different from, you know what, I went to this this show and the guy got in my head. Yeah. I mean, he, it's like he knew what I was thinking, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so Penn and Teller, who, you know, obviously I'm a fan, like every other magician, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they do more provoking, uh, and and consciously, it's not unconscious. They're they're out there sometimes to just absolute shock value. Well, they used yeah. to be known as the bad boys of magic. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. whenever they got started uh, yeah. back in the L.A. stage or uh, so many years ago. So th- these are the kinds of things that you talk about then uh, in your coaching as well, or are you just mainly two yeah. magicians no, as no, far no, as... No, 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 this is, this is the essence of magic to me. This is, these are the things that no one teaches a magician to do. Like, I'm about to teach you how, and I can do this in two minutes, maybe five minutes here, and if you practice it, you're going to be able to do a live shot like every reporter that you've ever seen on television. And you know what? It's not in any magic book and it's not even in any journalism book. It's one of those things that's passed down orally from journalist to journalist to journalist. Mm -hmm. So now you you know now what are the seven emotions, right? I'm going to recap it real quickly. Anger, fear, happiness, sadness, awe, curiosity, uh, and hope, right? right? So, so the word choices that you use or the image choices that you use you need to use in what I'm about to tell you. Okay. To do a live shot, the best way to learn is when you're driving or when you're in your house, look around you and then describe in 30 seconds something of that you see. Okay? So let's say you're driving and you're at a street corner 
You're at the corner of 5th and Main. There's a woman walking across the crosswalk, and she's pushing a baby carriage. That's about 30 seconds. Go to the next stoplight. Now, remember what you said, but add another 30 seconds to it. And now you're going to find out, because your mind captures more than you realize. Mm -hmm. You're going to see that the woman was at 5th and Main. She was crossing the crosswalk. She was wearing a blue blazer and carrying a big handbag. And the baby carriage was big, like maybe it had twins in it. Mm -hmm. You're going to go to the next stoplight, and you're going to add another 30 seconds. To that same to initial same thing you narrative. saw. So now you're talking about the woman crossing the street at 5th and Main, who's wearing the blue blazer with the big bag, and knows she's pushing a baby carriage that was pretty big. It may be twins. And you were kind of surprised because it was really noisy out on that particular day, or there were buses coming left and right, you would have been very nervous pushing the baby carriage as slowly as she was pushing it. Mm -hmm. That's it. And so if you practice this, for after about two weeks, you're going to be able to recall more information than you ever thought possible. How does that relate to, to magic? So now when you're in magic, you always have to script. Yeah. Eugene and Max and I, at first we used to butt heads about this, but I came around to their way of thinking. Mm -hmm. You have to script in order to deviate from the script. Ah. And in order to deviate from the script, you have to feel comfortable because what am I going to say? Well, you're going to, let's say that the script has to do with intuition like we talked about. Okay. Right? Um, and you look around and you start your script with however you're going to start it. And then you say, one of the things about intuition is the color that you wear and the colors you wear are really important. And now you see a person who's wearing red or who's wearing blue over here and you're riffing off what they're wearing. Or, you know, I walked into the studio earlier today or in, into the set and, you know, when you were outside, there were people, there was a lot of people wearing red tonight. Did you mm -hmm. notice that? Mm -hmm. And there was this and there was that and there was the other. And, and people will say, well, yeah, actually, I was sitting there in line and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then you go and you go through it. And so you're just never afraid to be able to ad-lib because you have things to say. They're right in front of you. They're so absolutely what you're basically right. saying is to be aware of your surroundings. That's what I kind of hear. And to uh, it's more it's more than that. You have to teach yourself to be aware and be able to recall it. You're aware; it's there. I okay. promise you, okay. you see more to than recall your, conscious. your surroundings. I so see. you're training sure. your you're training your mind yeah. to be able to recall stuff, mm -hmm. right? And after a while, riffing is not a problem because you'll see the same kinds of things that come up, mm -hmm. especially if you do the same kinds of shows over and over and over. And now I can move in and out of my scripts. Well, why is that important? To create the energy so you're not, you're not carrying the whole load. To create this personalized shared reaction. Because, again, I can put it on paper, but if I'm not interacting, really interacting with, with my audience, mm -hmm. then really I'm just reciting my story. And after a while, if you do it enough times, it'll feel that way. This time, every time you go before an audience, it's going to be different. Because the audience is different, right? And you'll right. never, ever again be caught in that bad situation where someone says, hey, can you do something and you don't know what to do? Because all you have to do is look around and pick something. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting you, you said about this. Um, I don't, most people are not intuitive, but people, you're in someone's house, right? Right. Who stack their glasses this way. Mm-hmm. Or their bookshelf is arranged. Or yeah. arranged this way are very intuitive people. That's all you need. Yeah. And and now and this is the last part. You do have to you have to read a lot in the sense that or have bits of information to fill in. And that becomes easier as you do this with time. For example, uh, I know for the lying story I told. I know that's factual, they can look it up. I have that in the back of my head because that's a go-to. Lying around the world is a universal, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, the other thing, did you know that the average person makes 36,000 decisions a day? Did not know that. From the moment you wake up, you're making decisions. Am sure. I going to get up? 
or not? Am, mm-hmm. am I going to hit the snooze button? <laughs> yep. Is my left foot going to hit the floor or my right? Exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. And okay. so now you say, now the question is, do you think you're influenced by those decisions? Or do you think you're making them on your own? Mm-hmm. And most people say, no, I, you know, I can do this, I can do it. Predetermination, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I'm going to show you that that, that, may, that may not be the case. And you touch their head lightly and you say, okay, I've just implanted an idea. Well, you ask permission yeah, first. Yeah, sure. I always ask you permission. You're going to touch somebody. That's very important. Yeah. Touch their head lightly and you tell them, I've just implanted an idea that's only going to last about a minute or so while we're talking about this. And then you go into some kind of card routine where you predict what their card is going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the easiest way for me is to do the cut deeper force, know what the top card, top sure. two cards are. And, you know, well, I knew you were going to do a queen of hearts and boom, it's there. And they've done all the work for you, right? And so all of these things, first of all, it catches people off guard. Wow, 36,000. That's hard to believe. Sure. It's like, it's like, that's almost a decision every five seconds, which is true, by the way. It's like the advertising that we see throughout the day that you don't pay attention to. How many thousands of those do we see? You know, right. billboards or uh, magazines and television, radio and wherever, you know, that we are influenced by we, subliminally that we don't know because of the massive amount of... Uh, so we're recording this a few days after Halloween, right? Right. Sometimes it doesn't have to be heavy-duty statistics. It's kind of fun facts. For example, most people have seen the original Dracula, right, with Bela Lugosi. Right, Bela Lugosi yeah. right. What most people don't know is that Dracula was filmed in English during the day, and the same sets every night they were filmed in Spanish. Did not know that. To do Dracula. With Bela Lugosi? Not with Bela Lugosi, but with, a but different with the actor? Spanish, but they use the exact same set. So if you were to see Dracula in English and the Spanish version of Dracula, except for the actors, mm-hmm. it's the exact set. same sets because one was filmed during the day wow. and the other was filmed at night. Hmm. That's interesting. So it doesn't have to be a hardcore fact. Sometimes it's just kind of fun. Hey, it's Halloween, you know, yeah, whatever. That's true. You talked about the uh, nine different emotions or seven. How many? Seven. 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 Which one is more important than the other? Are they equally important? And how many of those should you touch on, or as many as you can? Which one is important is going to depend on your audience. Oh, your audience. Okay, like okay, we said at the so beginning. So if sure. you're at a wedding, then you're going to try and come up with the love. hope, future, happiness, love emotions, right? Yeah. Like I say, there are more than, but those are the ones. Um, so one isn't more important than the other, it all kind of depends on what's going on around you mm-hmm. and what the purpose of your effect is going to be mm-hmm. in the, in, to begin with. Uh, if it's an impromptu situation, then it's whatever, whichever one you touch on. I mean, uh, you know, that's a hard one to answer because I don't know the circumstance that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's usually, different for each person. Usually it's what are my three or four go-to effects that I have and I know that these emotions works works best with those. Um, I never uh, go anywhere without something, right? And interestingly, I don't even need a something. I, Eugene Berger has a wonderful effect where um, a person uh, imagines uh, five coins mm-hmm. and you narrow it down to one and it's the one sure. that you choose, right? Sure. Um, so that lends itself to three or four different versions. First of all, there's this, do you think you make all your own decisions or do you think people influence you? Mm-hmm. And then you go to the, that. Or you can just turn around and say, hey, I, I wanna, I've been field testing something. I, I'm kind of curious. Uh, I need someone with a really strong imagination. Mm-hmm. You know? And then there you, you go, then you right go into that it. way, right? right? So it's the same effect. You saw what I did, a version of that I did with, with the person that I was telling you was, was, was having issues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so where you use the effect, as long as you have two or three effects that you're your go-to, you can put five or six stories around them based on the circumstances that you're... That, you're, uh, that you find yourself in. Right, but you never want to jump right into it saying, um, I, I've got five coins in front of me. You know, imagine I've got five coins. You've cut out all the interest. It's like, who cares? Right. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. You can sit there and you can flip a coin on the, you can throw a coin on the table to get their attention, right? So that grabs their attention to yeah. begin with. Uh, and you can say, isn't it interesting how money 
grabs everyone's attention, right? Yeah. Uh, and then you you riff off of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, with time, this concept I'm telling you of, if you were paying attention and you have to repeat it back, especially when you're doing walk around, you can see what's going on at this table oh, sure. over here. You walk over here to this table, and when you come back, you refer to something that happened when you weren't even there, and it freaks people out. Mm-hmm. Because you know they were watching. No, they weren't watching. In other words, let's say you go to table A, and you're okay. walking by, and this lady oh, knocks oh, oh, the oh. glass off, right? I see. So I'm going to go to table B, and I come back 10 minutes later, yeah. and I say, I start working on this, and I talk about something, and I say, yeah, the, you can always tell the most interesting tables. They're the ones that usually knock over a glass of water, mm-hmm. and everyone just kind of like, yeah. they I didn't, wasn't there for that. Because they it's, didn't see you go by. It's 15 minutes ago. Right, right. Or someone, some lady, puts a really nice pen away or put something in her purse mm-hmm. or puts her lipstick on or and then you say you know people who who have um their pocketbook as opposed to their purse mm-hmm. purple pocketbooks are the perfect people because they are really good at intuitive things but that time displacement makes all and the difference they have, and, sh- and someone you'll show yeah. go, oh does anyone here have a purple pocketbook and how the hell did he know that? Yeah. And then you go into a whole routine about like that. they're the most intuitive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> or you do the coin routine or whatever you want to do. Yeah. So if you if you do the two things that I am telling you, one it's one will teach you how to connect with an audience, but the second one is even better because it allows you to go in and out of a script, or if you're caught in an impromptu situation, you have after a while a bank of reactions and effects and things that work mm-hmm. that you can just throw in there. Yeah. And you're no longer afraid. It's different from improv. Okay. Improv is totally, you don't have anywhere, nothing to do. That's improvisation. That's right. what comedians do. Mm-hmm. But, and it's different from Equivoke because Equivoke, you're trying to get to a point. This is not, this is me trying to find something. You know what? You walk by and I happen to notice this is true. Happens all I wear my Texas Aggie ring. Yes. I'm sixty seven years old. I still wear my ring, right? Yeah. Yeah. All over the world. I I've had people I've been in people I, I was in Beijing one day, walking down the street, man walks up to me and he goes, Gigam Aggies. Gigam Aggies. <laughs> Didn't speak any other word of English. Yeah. But he saw my ring and his son was attending Texas A and M. Wow. So he understood the ring. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that just make a connection. Once you have that connection, you can go anywhere you want to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Someone's wearing a Texas Rangers sweatshirt. Mm-hmm. Well, that's pretty obvious, right? Yeah. You just need to find that connection. You just need to find the connection. That's interesting. Well, it's, it's been fascinating. I haven't asked many questions because you're a good teacher, and I like uh, studying at your feet here, and I hope that the listeners have as well. The name of my podcast is called The Magic Word Podcast. What is it that is your philosophy of life? What is it you live by then? Oh, I get up every morning wanting to see what I'm going to learn. Mm. And most importantly, is there some way that I can make a difference for someone? I've been doing that since I was in my teens, and it at the end of the day, did I learn something and did I make a difference? And at the beginning of the day, geez, what am I going to learn today? And uh, how can I make a difference? Those are great words to live by and a philosophy that we should all write on and post a note and put on the mirror or something to remind us then every day of that. Uh, Rolando, thank you very much. That's, My pleasure. Uh, great. It's always fun talking to you. <laughs> it's always good talking to you. I can't believe the time went by so quickly there. So I appreciate that and all the words. I hope that the listeners got out a lot of it. I Not only do I hope, I know the listeners got a lot out of this then as well. So for the Magic Word Podcast, that was Rolando Santos. This is Scotty Out. Thank you again, Rolando, for being my guest. This has just been another amazing episode with so much information in there. I think that every listener is going to get something out of that. And it probably deserves to be dissected. And once again, just for the listeners, if you want to jot these down, or you can go back and listen to them again, the seven different emotions are anger, fear, happiness, sadness, awe, curiosity, and hope. So those are very important uh, emotions, and if you can tap into that, you can start connecting with your audience a lot better. 
Well, again, congratulations on everything that you've achieved there, Rondo, and uh, thanks for uh, sharing your ideas with the rest of the Magic community. I would appreciate if everyone else could uh, help share this podcast with the rest of the Magic community by just liking and sharing, and if you can leave us some sort of five-star comment on uh, iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to the podcast, that would greatly be appreciated, and it will allow our podcast to grow as well. Uh, As we start into this new year, I want to thank also different people who have renewed their obligations uh, and their pledges for another year to uh, help this podcast to continue. And um, now that I'm getting this uh, special fellowship award, that it uh, looks like that we'll be going to do this for some time into the future, which was always my intent then anyhow. So again, thank you all. And if you haven't subscribed to the pod letter, I, just one more appeal there as well. So this way you kind of keep up with it. I've got these things written down. That is those seven emotions were written there in this week's pod letter. Well, next week I'm going to be going to Magi Fest in Columbus. So I know that is a big convention and a lot of you will be attending that as well I hope to get a chance to uh, see you and say hello if I don't stop you please stop me and say hello I appreciate getting a chance to meet uh, my listeners and I will uh, look forward to uh, seeing you in Columbus providing that the weather will allow flights to come in and out of Columbus we shall see so until next week stay well get booked And remember, or should I say, try to wake up each day wondering what I'm going to learn today and how can I make a difference in the world. This is Scotty out.